Isaiah 50. Isaiah 58. <laughs> that help? Can you hear me? I feel like I'm a commercial. I need Corey. Corey, I need you around me all the time. You wouldn't believe how hard a time I have finding my socks and shoes in the morning. No? No? All right. No. <clears throat> Isaiah 58. Entering into the last section. Now, Isaiah's prophetic vision now is really focusing in more and more and more on the Messiah, Jesus Christ, his coming, what that coming's going to do, and also on what it is to, to walk uprightly before the Lord, to, to uh, just be that, 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 that faithful servant, not only the one who believes and has placed their, their hope and trust in God, but even more than that, the one who, who wants to walk uprightly in obedience to God's word. And he kind of, it's, it's interesting because I love how, as we've been going through, you know, uh, Isaiah on Sunday night and Galatians on Sunday morning and Deuteronomy on Wednesday night, we see all of these scriptures binding themselves together and, and talking about the same kind of thing. And I think we see that tonight as, as well when we take a look. Now, as Isaiah 58 begins, he's, <clears throat> Isaiah is writing to them, picturing a, a Canaanite God. For example, you guys remember the story of Elijah when he challenged the, the priests of Baal and they both built altars. And as they built their altars, uh, Elijah says, Now you guys pray to Baal. And as they prayed, they jumped, they shouted, they danced, they cut themselves, trying to get their God's attention. And while they were doing it, Elijah kind of goads them, you know, maybe he can't hear you, he should be louder. Maybe he, he doesn't, you know, maybe he's, he's, actually he says, maybe he's on the pot and he, he needs a minute to get off. I mean, all these things Elijah says to these priests, Eventually, after they're done with carrying on all this chaos, nothing happens to their altar. Elijah stands up, prays to God in heaven, fire comes out of heaven, takes the sacrifice, the altar, the stones, the water, everything that was a part of it. Well, in light of that concept of how the pagans would call upon a God, yelling, screaming, cutting themselves, doing these things, in Isaiah 58.1, he says, So cry aloud. Spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Look at verse 2. Yet, therefore, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness. And they did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Listen, God says, okay, guys, just, just shout it out. Make a big old bunch of chaos like you're calling on a pagan God. Because on the outside, you look like you got it all together. You're keeping all the rules. You're doing all the things. You're going through the motions. And you're crying out to me and you're saying, well, then why? Why have we fasted and you haven't seen why have we afflicted our souls and you haven't noticed? Where are you, God, in, in all this stuff and all the things that are going on? Their, their complaint to the Lord is that God wasn't there. God's complaint to them is, you're not being real. You're going through the motions. You're, you have a, a form of godliness, but deny the power. In Timothy, Paul would write, from such, turn away. That if we're going to come to the Lord, do you got, we all realize, right, that God knows us, I hope. That we can't fool him, that we can't do something in the dark and God doesn't see. 
or that we can't like have some secret thought and, and, and withhold it from the Lord. We can't do that. Listen, this is what the Lord says. In fact, in the day of your fast, here's what he's going to point to. In the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. See, God sees beyond the show. And the day of the fast. Remember when Jesus talked to the Pharisees, he said, Oh, you guys darken up your faces and you put ashes on your head and you look like you're really fasting. But it's all show. It's all show. We know, right, that people play church. That people have a pretend relationship with God. You know, it's very surface. It's very much, uh, you know, I'll go to church on on Sunday. And I'm not saying you have to go to church more than one day a week, but kind of helps. But it's not about it's about it's not about doing that those things to look like I'm a Christian. It's about what do you do after church is over and you go home. What is your prayer life like? Are you opening the Word of God and pouring the Word of God in your your heart? Are you doing other things? Or is it all just about that one day a week and then the rest of the days I just live anyway? However, whatever's going on in my mind. The, The question I would ask is, which one is the real you? Would the real you please stand up? We often can can put on that whole show, that whole pretend, you know, Jude talks about it, the make-believer. Looks good on the outside. But but will the real you just be you? That's what God's saying to his people. Hey guys, just just step up, just be real. But when you feast, it's all about how you find pleasure in what other people think as they look at you. Oh, he's pretty holy. And, and it's all about you exploiting your workers and your laborers. He goes on and says, for you fast for what? For holiness? To draw near to the Lord? No, he says, indeed you fast for strife and debate. And to strike with the fist of the wicked. That was their heart in the fast. So I want you to kind of get the mindset. These are people saying, God, you don't hear us. God, where are you? We're doing all these things. But why were they doing the things? They're doing that. They're fasting. They're praying. They're reading. They're going through the rituals to make God move. Uh, God's God. We don't make God do anything. We don't make Him move. We don't change His mind. We don't change His course. He calls us to what? Trust Him. Trust Him that He knows what He's doing. To trust Him. Why do we fast then? We fast or we pray or we study or we go through the rituals as an outpouring of our love to Him. What was their heart? Strife, arguing, bitterness, trying to force God into doing something based on what they were doing. But, but the attitude of their heart wasn't love toward the Lord. It was a selfish heart for their own. I want what I want. You know, God's going to answer my... Folks, we hear about him on TV all the time, don't we? Turn on the tube. If you give, then God will have to bless you 30, 60, 100 fold. He'll have to do it. What are you talking about? Find me a place in the scripture where God had to do something. Except for something he said he would do. See, they're, they're trying the whole attitude for give because you'll make God give you something. The Bible says to give how? Hilariously. Out of a joyful heart. That that's the attitude. If that's not the attitude, the Bible says keep it. It's not doing you any good. Hold on to it. 
The Lord goes on to say, now listen, you will not fast as you do this day. So God's saying, I don't accept your fast. It's not right. To make your voice heard on high. What was their purpose? So that they would be seen, right? You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice seen on high. To, to let people look at you, to have people think of how holy you are. It's to call upon the name of God. He says, is it a fast that I have chosen? Is this the way I have chosen for you to fast? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Now, what day was that? Guys, he's talking about a specific day. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Looking forward to the Day of Atonement. Now, when was the Day of Atonement fulfilled? They would practice the Day of Atonement, still do. They still celebrate Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement, the Day of Affliction of Your Souls, to consider our souls as sin, the, 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 the shape that we're in, looking forward to the acceptance of a sacrifice that would give them another year where God would cover their sins and look forward to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It was ultimately fulfilled by Jesus Christ on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross. But God is saying to them, listen guys, is this the way I told you to fast? Is this the concept? Is this how you afflict your souls? Is this how you take an honest look at yourself? And say, where am I really with the Lord? Where am I walking with Him? What am I really about? Is this, is this my fast? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Listen, he's talking about the rituals. Anybody got rituals? Most churches got rituals, don't they? We, we, we have things that we do, things that we're like. Listen, he says, just because you're going through the form has nothing to do with the reality. We often get that flipped. We think if I do the ritual, then I'm covered. God's doing what's, what the ritual speaks of inside my life. But the ritual has it's nothing to do if it's not really in our heart. If it's not really what we're about. The Lord says, oh, yeah, you, this is your rules. This is your rules for fasting. Bow down your head, spread out sackcloth and ashes, and you call that a fast. Is this... Not the fast that I have chosen. Now God's going to describe fast. Anybody ever wonder what a fast is? Or whether we should fast or how we should fast? God's going to lay it out right here. This is the fast I have chosen. One, to loose the bonds of wickedness. To loose the bonds of wickedness. Two, to undo the heavy burdens. Three, to let the oppressed go free. Four, that you would break every yoke. You know, nothing in there talks about uh, having juice only or no meat or, right? God says, this is my fast. This is what I'm looking for because he's looking for the deeper reality of the heart, not just some ritual thing that we think we do that makes us holy. But the reality being, hey, I, I want to... I want to do what God's called for me. So if I want to fast, he tells me what it's all about. To loose the bonds of wickedness. The writer of Hebrews would say, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you. And run the race that God has laid before you with endurance. To loose the bonds or the bonds of wickedness. To undo those heavy burdens. I oh, remember what Jesus said. If any of you are, 
are under a heavy burden, what do you say? Come unto me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His burden's light because he is the burden bearer. He says, listen, I, I want to have to undo the heavy burdens. If you're carrying around a heavy burden, God never intended you to carry it. It's his. He's a burden bearer. You lay it at his feet and let it go and trust him. Trust in him. To let the oppressed go free. That word for oppressed means those broken by life. Anybody ever been broken by life? Man. I've been around some people who have been broken by life. Some things that have occurred in their life and they're just broke. The Lord says, these are the oppressed and I want them to be free. For who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Does Jesus Christ set us free today? Sure he does. This is the acceptable fast. And that you break every yoke. The scripture lays out for us not to be unequally yoked together. Right? To be, not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The idea in the book of Leviticus, under the, the Levitical law, is not to be yoked with, with things that were utterly different. Like you didn't yoke an oxen with a camel. You'd think that that would make sense. But that the idea, the spiritual concept behind it, is there are two different things. Yoke together those who are equally minded. Listen, even in the spiritual, even with a brother or sister, if we're not going in the same direction, why should we yoke ourselves together? If God was calling Barnabas to go over here and Paul to go over there, when they try to yoke themselves together and go on the missionary journey, what happened? Strife, a fight, Barnabas ended up over there, Paul ended up over there. What did God get? Two missionaries for the price of one. But the idea is don't be yoked together. Break every yoke. We only want to be moving forward in those areas that God has called, where the Lord is leading us. He goes on to say, again, this is God's fast. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who have been cast out. And when you see the naked, that you cover him. And not hide yourself from your own flesh. I thought this was a fast. I thought you're not supposed to eat. But God said, this is my fast. Give your bread to the hungry. Everybody knows the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Or everybody thinks they know the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. They think that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality. Homosexuality was a fruit of the choices that they made. What was the choice that they made? They have idleness of time, plentiness, plenty of food, and they did not care for the poor and destitute. And God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. God says, listen, I want you. I want you. We talked last, uh, last, not this Sunday, but last Sunday in the book of James. In the book of James, James says, listen, don't go to a brother or sister who's poor, destitute of food or, or naked and say, be clothed and filled and expect that that does anything. What did James say? Love in, in deed, not in word only. First John chapter 3, John says the same thing. Love in deed, not just in words. Here's what he's saying. If a brother or someone's hungry, give him some food. If he's, 
If he's thirsty, give him drink. If he doesn't have any clothes, put some clothes on him. Minister to him with the love of Jesus Christ. God says, that's my fast. That's what I'm looking for. A couple weeks ago, we had a a young man come through and uh, (laughs) shared a little bit of his story with me. He's a homeless guy. He was looking for a ride to, uh, to Arizona. Really had no reason to go to Arizona, but he was just looking for somewhere to go. So Arizona was his choice. Grew up his whole life in foster care. And unfortunately, didn't have a very good experience with, uh, with what he had gone through and what had happened with him in the state. <clears throat> you want to talk about somebody who feels like they're all alone? No mom, no dad, no brothers, no sisters, no tie to another human being on the face of the earth. He's headed out to, to Arizona and he was hungry. So we gave him something to eat. He needed a ride. So we gave him a ride. He wanted a way to get to Arizona. We got a bus ticket. We didn't just tell him, Jesus loves you. Let me pray for you. Now get out of here. We made it practical. Right? The Bible says truth is... Or it has been said, truth is where the word and the deed become one. That's truth. Taking what God's word lays out and using it in a practical way. Here, feed, clothe, take care. This is what God says. This is his fast. And what does he say? And finally, do not hide yourself from your own flesh. I had to chew on that one for a little while. Do not hide myself from my own flesh. What? Do not hide myself from my own flesh. Rubbing my head, I do that. Every once in a while you see me with this big red knot in between my eyes. You guys ever seen that? Some of you have. That's when I start rubbing between my eyes trying to solve something I can't solve. And I guess got like a weak sauce forehead and it gets a dumb looking bruise. But anyway, I, I I was giving myself one of those. Thinking about, what's he talking about? And... And then as I got a little bit deeper into it, here's what he's saying. Sometimes we get so focused about going out and helping those other people, the hungry out there and the, and, the, and the thirsty and the naked and those who need visited and all that, that we forget to reach out to our own family. Fathers to their own children. Well, I did that a lot. I mean, I, I was was a youth pastor, I was a football coach, I had all these things going on. I ministered to hundreds, maybe thousands of kids. But there were a variety of times where my kids ended up getting what was left at the end of the day. God says, this is my fast. This is my fast. Do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Those are your kids. I give them to you. You're supposed to do right by them. That's one of those times where, where ministry can get in the way of family. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. We, we don't hide ourselves from our own flesh. We've got to make time for them. They're at least, if not more, important than the other. So we want to make sure that those things are being met. Are we doing the things God calls to do for our own flesh, our own family? What does God call us to do? He calls us to, 
to train up our children. We talked on Wednesday in the book of Deuteronomy that training of your child means to put the taste of God in their mouth so that they can taste and see that God is good. To teach our children diligently the Word of God. Are we doing those things? Are we raising them up to love Jesus Christ? He wants us to do those things, not hide ourselves from our own flesh. God says, this is my fast. This is the fast I'm looking for. So what happens? He says in verse 8, then your light will break forth like the morning. Literally, the concept is like a volcano erupting. That light will break forth in the morning. Your healing will spring forth speedily, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And you will, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. See, their whole complaint is, God, you're not here for me. And God's whole complaint to them is, you're not being real. You're, you're just trying to play the game, manipulate. People know how to do that in the United States, right? Manipulate to get what they need. Manipulate the system to work the courts, to do all those things. Here's what he says. Listen. What you're going to find when we follow this fast the way the Lord lays out, that this would be our attitude in life. It's an enlightened life. He says, your light shall, <clears throat> shall come down through the darkness. It's a guided life. That God's going to guide you. It's a satisfied life. He'll satisfy your soul. It's a fragrant life. It's a, it's a freshly sustained life. It's productive. It's healing. It's all those things that these guys were looking for but didn't have because their relationship was very surface with God. And they're trying to work the system. Well, the Bible says if I do this, then God's going to do that. But it wasn't a reality within them. Listen, look at what he says in verse 9 as he continues. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry... And satisfy the afflicted soul. He's saying, look, this is what I want you to do. This is what you need to change. Take away the yoke from your midst. What were they doing? Folks, still today, you know what the word religion means. The word religion means to bind up. And still today, there are people who say, man, I just don't like that, the whole religious thing. But I don't blame you. What did Jesus say? And... and in Isaiah chapter 61, he says he came to set free the bound. And then we develop a religion full of rituals to bind people again. He says, take off the yoke. Take off the yoke that says, these are things that you need to do or that you must do. And the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. Don't we see people do that today? Hey, I've been guilty. I shared once before, I went into a Circle K one time, and these kids come through that could never even possibly get through a metal detector. Their heads were pierced. Their eyebrows was pierced, their cheeks, their nose, there was not nothing. There was so much metal in their face. It looked like somebody shot them with a shotgun and just walked away. Metal everywhere in their face. And I made a judgment against them. I made a judgment like, man, <laughs> see you guys, I'm out of here. And God said, where are you going? You're a youth pastor and they're kids. He says, stop pointing your finger. Just because the, the junk on them's on the outside and your junk's on the inside, that make you better? Not at all. 
God says, stop pointing your finger. We, we learned a long time ago, right? When we point our finger, are there any pointing back at us? Yeah, we're in worse shape, ain't we? I only have four fingers, though. Uh, but anyway, the idea, you guys get the, you guys get the idea. Stop <clears throat> pointing your finger and speaking wickedness. And then listen, he says, if you extend your soul to the hungry. Now listen, it's, it's more the, the story I shared with you. If all I do for that, that young man is, is give him a ticket and put him on a bus and, and give him some food, I haven't really given him what he needs. Because in a couple of hours, he's going to be hungry again. And when he gets where he's going, if he doesn't find what he's looking for, he's still going to need to go somewhere else. So the Lord says, extend your soul to the hungry. Extend who you are. The soul is what makes you alive. What makes me alive is Jesus Christ. If all we do is give food, we haven't done our job. He says, extend your soul. Extend your soul and satisfy the afflicted soul. He's afflicted because he doesn't know Jesus Christ. Now, I can't make him get saved. I could say, okay, I got a ticket, but unless you pray the prayer, you don't get it. Yeah, I can try that. But that could just be words, right? Where's it got to be? It's got to be in his heart. It's got to be real. It's got to be real. So we want to present him with the truth. And the opportunity to know and to believe. And what's he say? Your light will dawn in the darkness. Now this idea, rather than an eruption like a, like a, a volcano going off and, a, and the day dawning, this is, uh, you ever not known what to do and where to go? That's the concept here. He says the idea is the light will dawn in your darkness. You don't know what to do and you don't know where to go, but you'll understand. You'll understand what to do and where to go. He says, in your darkness will be like the noonday. The light's going to shine. You're going to see what to do, where to go. Because your relationship with God is not surface. It's not just on top. It's, it's deeper. It's real. It guides our choices, our directions, and the things that we do. And what's he say in verse 11? The Lord will guide you continually, perpetually, over and over and over again. God's going to guide you. And what? Satisfy your soul in drought. The book of Ruth begins like this. There was a famine in the land. So Ruth, I can't even remember her husband's name, and her two sons, Malon and Chilion, I remember them. <laughs> they pack up and they leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, and they move to Moab, which is, in a literal sense, a toilet. So life got hard. They left the house of bread to go live in the toilet. And reality is, a lot of us have done the same thing. The Lord says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. He says, when there's no bread in the house of bread, look to me. Look to me. God will meet that need. That's the whole point. The reason there was a famine in the land, God wanted them to look to him. But where did they go instead? To the toilet. Well, you put whatever you want in there to drugs, to alcohol, to illicit sex, to pornography, to whatever. Whatever you think you can escape from A and get to B to make you so you don't have to think about A anymore. But God says, guys, that's me. 
I meet that need in you. I'll show you where to go. I'll guide you. I'll satisfy your soul. And I'll strengthen your bones. The Lord will make you durable. <laughs> I wasn't very excited about that verse. I'll be honest with you. Because the Lord making me durable means I'm probably going to get beat up. <clears throat> Otherwise, why would I need to strengthen your bones? You ever felt beat up? By the world or by the Lord? I know I have. I think sometimes I put myself in the spin cycle and, and then I look up at God and say, Lord, what are you doing? And he says, I mean, your hand's on the dial, brother. Turn it off. You'll be okay. But the Lord doesn't make me fragile. He makes me durable. He says, you follow me. Real, total, complete commitment. Not just surface stuff. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to strengthen your bones. I'm going I'm to make you able to bear what you have to bear. Man, there have been people I have ministered to that have had to bear things I cannot even begin to imagine. I, I, it just blows my mind. I shared this morning about the young couple that, uh, that ran over their baby. She was, just had her one-year-old birthday. So she was out running around. They didn't see her run out in front of the truck. Big old glass truck. And I remember I got to the hospital actually before the dad. And I remember the dad come walking down the hallway and yelling for me, Jackie, Jackie, tell me that I did not just kill my daughter. What are you going to tell them? What words make that kind of pain go away? But God says, I'll strengthen your bones. And he also says, if he can't stand Jackie, I want you to be his strength. If he's too weak, I want you to hold him up. That's all we did. Held him up and we cried like little babies. Until we weren't crying anymore. And God, his call to me, to you, to him, to them as parents. I know it's hard. Will you trust me? Well, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? That's where the make-believer and the real believer gets divided real fast. Because a real believer can cling to the Lord in that. Make believer, he's trucking. I'm out of here. But what hope do you have if you run away? What hope do you have if you leave the Lord? Man, I mean, I promise you this. That the, the mom and dad, they're going to see their baby girl again. They love Jesus. And Jesus is getting them through. Some days better than others. But they know the truth. And Jesus said, the truth will set you free from the yoke of bondage. So are they bound to what occurred, to what happened in their life? Man, no. They're free. Because they're free in Jesus Christ. Does it mean it doesn't hurt? Nope. Still hurts. But that's real. That's where, that's where reality hits this, this pie in the sky, you know, weird weirdness of religion instead of reality and relationship with jesus christ that's the reality that's where 
that's where it gets real, man. That's where it's, uh, it's unbelievable in that place. And we want to hold on to those promises of God. When God says, hey, when I'm the main thing, when your attitude is following and obeying me, I'll strengthen your bones. What else will he do? He says, and you will be like that watered garden. You're going to be like that watered garden I shared with you before. It's, it's having that fragrant life. When that garden's watered and the, the flowers are all growing and things are all blooming, man, there's, there's life and life abundantly, right? What did Jesus say? I've come to give you life. Life, life more abundant. And that's what he's talking about when he talks about this well-watered garden. And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Do you believe that God doesn't fail? He doesn't fail. He never fails. He always will come through. But we don't always like how he comes through. Right? Oh, God, I'd really have rather this worked out that way. But listen, all God says in that, like we talked about this morning, right? When we don't understand what it's about, just remember the prayer of his son. Who in the garden of Gethsemane asked if the cup would pass from him. But then he said, what? It's not about my will. Your will be done. Your will be done. God never fails. When we see the end of all things, when we stand before him, the Bible says no one will be disappointed. Nobody. He just calls us to believe, to trust him, to put our hope in him. Scripture goes on then and says, so those... From among you will build the old waste places. And you will raise up the foundation of many generations. What's he saying? There's going to be a continuance of that faith. That the the young ones are going to grow up. They're going to move forward. We're all about in this place. Raise up the next generation. If the next generation doesn't get raised up, doesn't isn't shown the truth of God's word, does isn't doesn't grow up in the truth of the word of God, then that it it ends, it stops, it's over, it's done. But we want to raise up that next generation. The Lord says, if this is your attitude, the generation is going to be raised up. They're going to do the things for, for uh, they will be raised up uh, many generations. And you will be called the repairer of the breach, a restorer of the streets to dwell in. And then he goes on, and he lays out for us this. Listen, God is more interested in us enjoying his blessing than he is in self-imposed deprivation. God wants us to enjoy his blessings more than self-imposed deprivation and our own rituals and ideas. He says, listen, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and, and shall honor him... Not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you will delight yourself in the Lord. He goes from talking about their fast to his feast. You get that, right? The Sabbath wasn't a fast. The Sabbath was a feast, a celebration. A celebration of who God is and what God has done. And so he says, if you make the Sabbath about who? About God and not about yourself. If you make the Sabbath about God and not about yourself, that it's not about what you got to do or what you need to do, but what is God calling for you? If you honor the Lord, 
not doing your own ways. Now, the cool thing is, hey, the law was until Christ. The law has been done away with. Are we under the Sabbath? No, but the Scripture tells us something else. It tells us that one man esteems another day, another man esteems... Let every man be fully convinced in his own heart the day that he's going to set aside or focus on the Lord. But Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. Jesus Christ is our rest. And when we come to that time, whatever it may be that we set aside for the Lord, is it about Him or is it about me? I'll give you a a prime example. Sunday morning, folks come into church. Is it about me or is it about God? And they come in and the sanctuary is too hot or the sanctuary is too cold. Yeah, or the music's too loud, or the music's too long, or the preacher's too boring. Is it about me, or is it about God? Hey, I can worship the Lord in any circumstance. And I can show you God being worshipped in every circumstance through the Word of God. And so if it's a little uncomfortable, or a little too crowded, or a little too this or that, if that becomes my focus then the day is about me. When my focus is the Lord, then all that stuff just goes away. It goes away. I can praise the Lord. I can make the choice. It says, I'm not going to let all these things become distractions to me. This day is about Him. The Lord says, when you honor the Sabbath, when you say that you will honor me, by, but not doing it your own way, not doing your own thing, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then he says, you will delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. Wow, that's Bible speak for... He says, I'm going to feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. What was his heritage? The heritage of Jacob was Abraham. The heritage he passed on was faith. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him righteousness. Lord says, man, when, when, you, when you worship me, when I'm in that rightful place in your life, when you honor me, when it's about me, not about you, Then you will delight yourself in the Lord. And I'll give you the heritage of Jacob, your father. The faith of Abraham. Want the faith of Abraham? I like to have the faith of Abraham. We want to have that attitude that says, I want to delight myself in the Lord. I want to ride on the high hills of the earth. You ever come back from a retreat and you're like, oh, woo! way up here yeah it takes about 10 minutes for you to be going uh the lord says hey if i'm the main thing if i'm the main thing then you're going to be on the high hills you're going to delight in me and you're going to have the heritage of jacob your father the faith of abraham this is what the lord is laying out the mouth of the lord has spoken now chapter 59 we're not going to do we're supposed to though that's what happens sometimes 
When we look at the, the scripture that Isaiah lays out for us and that we see tonight, we want to have that attitude. Listen, we don't want our religion to become or our relationship to become just a set of rules. That I remember growing up in church and I could have got the idea that if I take the new, new believers class and I get confirmed and I pass the test that the elders give and then uh, I'm approved for baptism and then all of that stuff is done, I'm, I must be saved. But you see, all I've done is get everything out of order. I'm not saying those things don't have a place in teaching people about what to believe or in in speaking about what God's done in the heart and life of a believer. But if they're not a believer, we got the the cart on the wrong side of the horse. They got to know Jesus. They got to know who he is. It's not just about following a list of rituals. It's about knowing him. And then upon knowing him, follow him in obedience. Show him you love him for what he's done for you. Let him have that right place in our life. That's what Isaiah is talking about. That's what he wants us to understand. That's what he wants us to know. And all of those things, he's looking ahead to the coming promise, to to Jesus Christ being born, having this ministry. And one day Jesus would stand before the Pharisees and the Pharisees would say, how come your guys don't fast? And I bet in Jesus' mind, he's thinking, have you guys ever read Isaiah? You think the fast is all about how dirty you can get and, and sad you can look, baptized in lemon juice, bitter? Or do you realize the fast is so much deeper than that? It's about what you're doing in reality. I think that's where God wants us to focus. Tonight we're going to close out at a time of prayer. Every Sunday night we close out in a time of prayer. So I want to invite you. We'll we'll kill the lights. And and I get it. You know, if you you don't have time, I understand that. It's okay. Feel free to to get up when you need to get up and bail when you need to bail. We'll keep praying until uh, uh, we stop. And then we'll hang out and visit for a while. You never know what's going to happen when you're visiting on a Sunday night. Let me just tell you. But that being said, we want to set this time apart and we want to focus on the Lord. And I encourage you, if you're you're uptight about praying in front of people, well then, you know, pray to yourself. Uh, If you feel the Lord lays on your heart a scripture, a verse, and you want to share it, then share it. If if the Lord lays on your heart a word, I want to give you an opportunity to to share the, the word that the Lord gives you. If, if As we pray, we want to be sensitive to everybody who's here. We want to try to provide everyone who wants an opportunity to have an opportunity. Remember, it's not about us. Who's it about? It's about Jesus Christ, about the Lord. It's about the Father. So we want to keep our focus on Him. So I'll go ahead and start us off, and then please feel free to, to join in at any time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the time that we gather before you. We thank you for the truth of your word. And that your word means what it says and says what it means and it intends to be applied to our life. So God, may we, may we just, just, just have that moment that says, God, I really need to consider where I'm at. Am I 
all caught up in religion and rituals? Or am I in the reality? And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference because those same things exist on both sides. The reality, the only, the only way really to tell is, is, is me, inside of me. What's inside of me? Lord, we just want our relationship with you to be so true and vibrant and living and powerful and, and that that's really what drives us. That's why we do what we do because we're a believer. We don't want that, that our whole existence is, is about trying to please man all week long and then pleasing God in, in the few moments that we give to him. You need to be at that rightful place, Lord. You need to be central. Everything is affected by my relationship with you. What comes into my life, what goes out of my life. Lord, we just got to do gut checks sometime and say, where am I? And if I'm off, out of balance, out of whack, Scripture says all I have to do is confess my sins and He's faithful and just to forgive me. He cleanses me from all unrighteousness and gives me that right standing with Him. And what happens? It's like that volcano erupts and I can see. I can see. So Lord, we just ask that you by your spirit would move among us this evening. Be glorified as we seek to honor you and glorify you in this place. And Father, even as this chapter begins, Lord, we pray, hear our cry. Move among us, your people, in a mighty way. Pour out your spirit of revival upon us and upon your land. And be glorified as we stand in the gap for one another before you. In Jesus' name.